What's up, everybody? Good to see you. Get a little spotlight on me. That'd be nice. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's been a good month, everybody. I'm still in LA, still having fun out here. Uh, been going to more record stores as I kind of like look around and try to scope out the city. Uh, found a really cool place, um, off, uh, Hollywood Boulevard, um, called, uh, the record parlor. That was a fun place. Everybody was very helpful. Um, I was, uh, went in and I was looking for some Tina Turner. Um, I was looking for some stuff and, uh, being that that's what I'm going to open up the show with. I, cause I just saw a documentary on HBO called Tina and, uh, for women's history month, you know, we want to kind of celebrate female artists and musicians, uh, here on the show. And, uh, what a story Tina Turner has and uh, what a great documentary. If you get a chance, check that out. It's really good. Um, very interesting documentary from her early days with Ike, um, you know, through kind of, you know, that tumultuous relationship and all the kind of things that happened in that. But it's really a weird thing I'm on, on the fence because you're watching this documentary and, you know, they really did make amazing music together. And that's kind of a, a question I'm going to ask a little bit later in the show, just kind of how people feel about supporting artists when you don't necessarily agree with who they are as people and their moral compass and stuff. But watching this, you know, you see these you know, this young couple kind of creating this magic. And uh, Ike was kind of the the mastermind between all the music that was happening. And then Tina was just this force of a lead singer. And this documentary just takes, you know, takes you into that. And, you know, the common phrase is she taught Mick Jagger how to dance, meaning she taught him kind of how to be a better frontman. And so she was uh, this amazing performer and watching kind of her journey in this documentary is really cool. Um, just to kind of, you know, early days of kind of just doing covers and doing kind of, you know, stuff The you know, her breakout when she, you know, divorced Ike and started her own uh, career in the music industry and kind of went to like Switzerland and different places and had these different kind of producers and just kind of weird sounds and then broke out with, you know, kind of her story of how Ike treated her. And then she got it was she was kind of like you know, this kind of tabloid thing for a long time before she really popped as a, as a solo artist. It was more about her relationship with Ike and all this stuff. And then uh, Private Dancer came out and that was this experimental album that came out and that she was, you know, took off from there. And we, it was like Tina full force, like in the eighties, it was Tina nonstop. And then she, uh, you know, Mad Max and all this other stuff beyond Thunderdome, the soundtrack. And, you know, so it's a really cool documentary. Um, if you get a chance, because uh, a lot of people, you know, I didn't know that much about Tina except her story with Ike and all that. And then a little bit about, you know, because she came out, Private Dancer was kind of, you know, the thing. But but I really kind of went in a spiral of a lot of the older stuff. And I don't know if I'm an asshole for liking <laughs> the, uh, you know, Ike and Tina stuff a little bit better. Um, but I do. And, uh, this is an album it's, uh, called come together. It's, it's actually covers. And we do, we, we do a lot of, there's a lot of conversation on this show. We talk you know, about covers and, you know, do we like them or not like them? This, uh, this album has some amazing covers on it and, uh, come together, which is obviously the big Beatles song. And, um, it's really good. Uh, it has, uh, I want to take you higher Sly and family stone and really cool cover on here is uh, Evil Woman, which was uh, performed by the band The Crow and Black Sabbath, um, one of their big songs. And so this is uh, really cool stuff. And that's kind of what I want to talk a little bit about today in the chats, if you get a chance. I kind of want to throw some questions out to the Twitter folk and then also my co-host. We could have a little dialogue about it, too. Three questions that I have is, you know, do you still support an artist when you don't agree with their moral compass? You know, meaning like, you know, should I like Michael Jackson? Should I like John Lennon? Should I, you know, is it, you know, even like actors like Mel Gibson and stuff? So it's kind of this weird thing where it's like, like I still, you know, that's how I feel about Governor Cuomo is nobody likes him anymore, but I like him like I like Michael Jackson. Like I still love his early work. So <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. I'm curious how people think. And then also, um, I'm curious how people feel about drugs. You know, can drugs make art better? You know, like, how do you feel about true or false? Can drugs make art, like enhance it, make it a better experience? And then also after an artist dies, does that elevate? their work or does that make people more drawn to them kind of this mystical thing that makes people connect to the artist you know so i'm curious about these questions we're going to leave them up for a minute 
Um, so if you want to throw those into the chat, um, we would love to kind of hear what you have to say, but, uh, you know, uh, Tina Turner is kind of, you know, a great artist. If you want to seek her out and, and I do like her solo work. It's a little more kind of mom rock for me, but I do think she's very talented and a hell of a, hell of a front person. And, uh, so get you some Tina Turner and check it out. And, uh, so yeah, so that's my, uh, my intro for today. Hope you enjoyed that. So get those questions out. We would love to talk to you a little bit about that. And so I want to bring in my uh, co-host, uh, very amazing guys. You know a lot about music. And uh, Jeffrey, Paul, Adam Holtz. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good to see you. What's up? Huh? So you know what? I, listen, I, I rage on this show about Pat Benatar, but <laughs> another person is Tina Turner. Like she's another yeah. uh, solo artist that is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist. She's coming up. I think she got inducted. I think she's she's been she, nominated. She pe- she's I nominated. Nominated. Okay. I don't know. If, I think I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. I mean, that's when you throw a documentary around on HBO. I'm pretty sure that's kind of the. I hope. So. I mean, she. Yeah. Absolutely. She, I mean, this is this is an icon. She's an icon. She's great. She's great. She's got an amazing voice. And they did so much work with, you know, kind of switching over her sound. Have you seen the documentary? It's fantastic. No, but I, it's, I, I've always liked Tina Turner. Yeah. I always thought that there was always something a little special about her, that she's the trendsetter. I think without her, you don't have Janet Jackson or Whitney. She was the, the full package of, of all those performers. Um, and also, I, I, I believe that she is the only woman in her forties to have a number one singer. Maybe JLo had just yeah. uh, reached something like that, but I mean, she, she was the original JLo. I mean, uh, yeah. In some sense, for sure. I mean, I, mean, I think JLo was, started a little younger, but yeah, it was, yeah, but she was, an, she was a singer, a dancer, yeah. an actress, and she makes better music. Yeah, I think she was, uh, you know, at that time, um, you know, women's performance, performance or whatever. It was like, you know, the Supremes and stuff like that. Like it was very much together and very kind of wholesome, if you will. And then she just came out, you know, guns a blazing with the skirt, you know, with the way up showing her legs and shaking around and sweating on stage. And, you know, kind of I, I compared it like a James Brown. I think she's like a female version of James where she's just kind of like owning the stage in a way that nobody had ever seen a woman do before like that, right, you know? Right. So yeah. how do you feel about the Ike stuff? Like, I, I feel like it's like when I bought this album, I was just like, should I still be buying <laughs> music from like a horrible human being? So, but gosh, he was good and was able to compose good music. It's a great question. Yeah. And, um, I, I think it was like one of the last, I don't know, the last thing you said, uh, about Cuomo and the main the thing that made what my mind went to was Michael Jackson and all the allegations well, against said, Michael yeah. Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it still doesn't diminish what he was as a performer, and I think he's the greatest performer of all time. Well, how do you feel when you listen to it? Is there, is there any sort of like when no. you, you know? What about you know? Are there any artists that do that for you where you're just like you don't like what they've done? No, I can. I, I. What about I, Sid I Vicious? He killed no, a person. No. He killed his girlfriend. Like stabbed her. Does that does that affect you at all? I, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a huge Sex Pistols fan, so I never really listened to the Sex Pistols. But when okay. I do listen to uh, that version of My Way, I still think it's great. But I think what Johnny about Phil, Rotten Phil makes Spector. That. Phil Spector. <laughs> great producer. Yeah, but, you know, he was. I, you, know, you know, you can't. But you think you can't say, well, now it sucks because. The, the no, it's not about sucking. Amazing. It's not about sucking and it's not about not enjoying it. It's like Louis C.K. even. It's just about like, you know, Bill Cosby. I mean, are you going to, you know, whenever I see, a, you know, like I have a lot of Bill Cosby albums. I don't know if I would put one on like I used to. You know, I don't think I could uh, enjoy it in the same normal way. It would have, I mean, Michael Jackson, it just feels a little different for some reason. Um, but, uh, you know, but somebody like, you know, Bill Cosby feels weird. Like, I don't know if I'm going to just turn it on. Were you, know, Lu- you know, were you a Louis C.K. fan? You know, did you like Louis C.K.? He would have been the greatest comic we've ever seen if this hadn't happened. I think when he's you, he's the you, next he's the next George Carlin. If he if this whole thing hadn't happened. So when you listen to him now. Does yes. it, does it, knowing what, what he did and what went down, does it take away from him a little bit when you listen to it? 
A little bit, but you know what it does? It, it kind of, well, I, he tried to get stage time from me and I wouldn't allow him at, at Greenwich Village Comedy Club because I felt like I had too many female comics. And I just, it, at the time, it was really when it was fresh and I felt like it would create a situation that I didn't want to create now. Um, but I feel like, um, you know, when I hear his dirty stuff or I hear his stuff about like, you know, how he loves to masturbate or like all women are, you know, all men are creeps and they want to kill, you know, all this weird stuff that he says. I feel like it, it rings different. Like when I watch a Woody Allen movie now, um, sometimes when he portrays himself as going for the younger woman or things like that, sometimes it, it, it creates a different energy in my head. Like it, I can't just lose myself in the art. When I know something about the art, when I see Mel Gibson in a movie, you know, a new movie, I'm kind of like, you know, it, it's not the same as when I saw him in Lethal Weapon for the first time. Like it, it, it chips away a little bit, you know, I mean, it depends how much, you know, that bothers you because some people it doesn't bother, but it does a little bit. It's, it's a good that's a, it's, a, it's such a such an interesting question, because when you bring up Mel Gibson, like Louis, I can listen to his comedy and get lost in the comedy. Uh, Michael Jackson, I can get lost in the music. But there's something about Mel Gibson that I can't get lost in if, if he's acting in it. But I just recently watched Passion of the Christ and you don't even think Mel Gibson. You just get lost in in how good that movie was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, but if you know, but when you see him in a movie, it's a little different. But I, I don't know. I think it's like people just. It, I think it, Picasso was horrible to women. He would put cigarette uh, cigarettes out on their back and stuff. Like he was a horrible human being. But nobody's taken down, you know. And it's a cancel culture. But you know, nobody's taken down a Picasso in the museum. You know what I mean? Like, and people can still enjoy the art. I don't think a lot of people know. I mean, John Lennon was a wife beater, but the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. You know, so it's like it's easy to, you know. Well, that was it was a thing when I um, put this on Facebook. You know, um, Buddy Flip was a comedian that we're really friendly with. He kind of went in and he he basically was saying that he but his whole thing was John Lennon got better as a person. So in the beginning, it was kind of like he had a hard time with the whole allegation of, of what he had heard about the past of John Lennon beating wives and stuff. But then his later work is so much about peace and so much about love and unity. So he, his whole thing is like people can grow. So that's how he was able to, you know, maybe if Michael Jackson had lived, maybe, you know, more truth would come out about what happened or, you know, I don't know. So maybe it would have changed kind of where it left off. But I don't know. I think it's probably an individual thing. I, but I know we're such a cancel culture that uh, but I did feel a little weird buying this album. But uh, but the guy at the record store, he seemed to be, you know. He, he didn't have any compass at all about it. So he was like, Ike Turner's amazing. I was like, yeah. And I was like, looking around. <laughs> but, but this, you know, this is a cool, some, the, I continue to start, I just love it, man. It's like, they just had such a soul groove and it's really about that era. I like a little better than that eighties pop stuff. So sixties is, yeah, is amazing. Sixties was so cool. So much good music. It's hard to find bad music in the sixties, except, you know, maybe monkeys or something, but it's like, you know, <laughs> Really good stuff. So, do, do you think if Lennon, if it was like the Beatles were around today, you know, mm -hmm. as, as just starting as a band and they were popular, and, and all the stuff came out about uh, Lennon, do you think in in the the way we live today, he would even get a second chance? We just want to shut people down. You know, we don't we don't want to help anybody. We just want to cancel somebody. It's a it's a it's a shortcut to fake virtue. It is, and some people. Um... Yeah. I mean, I have a best friend who's a celebrity and he's had some run-ins with, with things and some of it's true and some of it's not true. And, you know, and I see how people are piranhas and they just go at you. And a lot of the fact, you know, there was a movie, uh, there's a documentary that came out, Cecil Hotel. I don't know if you saw it on Netflix. It's uh, and they basically, there was this guy that was kind of a, you know, uh, kind of a hard death metal guy. And he's in this documentary and the whole thing is like, you know, he sings songs about death and all this stuff. And he happened to be in this hotel where this murder happened. And the fact that he was such a death metal rock guy, everybody just assumed he killed the person. And so he, the internet just went crazy on him. And then basically accusing him of killing this, and he had to get off the internet and this whole thing. And the, you know, and then it found out he didn't, and he had nothing to do with it. He was just a guy that did death songs. And there's no and, apologies. There's no apologies. There's no apologies. And this poor guy, I mean, he's kind of slowly coming back, but it's like, you know, and hopefully the fame from the documentary will help us, you know, whatever. But he took, I mean, this is 10 years or whatever. I mean, he almost gave up music and whatever. So yeah, so people jump quick. 
but you know, Absolutely. but some things are fact. It's a fact that I, you know, was rough mm-hmm. and, you know, did some horrible things with Tina. And so, so that's the, the, you know, it really just, I don't know, just depends on the person, but some people don't deserve a second chance. And maybe some people do, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's, let's swing it around to sports. All right. Okay. Like, o- like, o- like, o- like OJ Simpson. I this remember watching a different kind of show. I like it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's like a guy like that who was found guilty in a civil case, found innocent, but it's widely presumed that he that he committed these mur- murders. Do you take him out of the football hall of fame? It has nothing to do with his football accomplishments. He still ran for over 2000 yards in his season. He still was the greatest running back of his era. No, I don't think you take it out. I mean, just, they didn't, I agree. I, I and Tina got into the, uh, the hall of fame. I mean, that, 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 that's fame. the comparison I was making. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it was rough for her, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just a weird thing. I mean, to separate the art, the thing, and I don't know. It's, it's harder to be, it seems like it's harder to be a good human being than it is to be a great artist. So that seems to be easier for a lot of <laughs> Definitely. people. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Being a good human is a whole lot harder than writing a hit song. So... <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Cool, man. So uh, speaking of songs and hits, what do you guys, what's, what's going on today? What's the, what's the and, featured and, album? And good human beings, or it depends on your point of view on this artist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, she is, was one of my favorites. And there are very few people that when they pass, um, you know, <laughs> like you, you saw this coming, but this one hit me, you know, a little harder than, than, than a lot. Um, I was, I loved Amy Winehouse and we're going to look at, uh, back in black today. And this is back in black is the second back to black, last, right? Back to black. Yeah. yeah. It said back. <laughs> Don't combine the hell with Angus. <laughs> I would Angus love to have heard her sing hell's bells. Like right. that would be amazing. <laughs> that would have been phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Back to black. I'm sorry. Yes. Back it's to right. black. It's the second and her last album that came out in uh, the fall of 2006. Um, when you listen to this album, it's, it's open. It's, it's transparent. It's, it's insight into really the relationship she had with her on again, off again, boyfriend later becomes her husband, uh, Blake Fielder civil. Um, if you like soul, if you like sixties music, uh, this, this is it. I mean, this album has soul. It has jazz. It has blues. Uh, you can, you can taste the alcohol uh, in, 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 in her singing this, <laughs> but somehow it is yet commercial. And I think a lot of that has to do with who produced the album, which was Mark Ronson, who also produced uh, Adele, uh, Lady Gaga uh, and Bruno Mars. So if we go through the tracks, we're not going to go through every single one of them, but there's so many tracks that really do stand out. Like um, I think like, like me and Mr. Jones um, has, has an, like an old school backdrop back, backdrop to it while she's slamming uh, being in a relationship. Like uh, like the, the, the line that keeps coming up in the song is like, what kind of fuckery mm-hmm. is this? And it's really the, the music is like an ode to 60s history. She even uh, when she's referring to her husband, uh, she goes, aside from Sammy, you're the best black Jew I know. Um, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting lyric. Um, and then you go to like a very, like you could see like being like in a lounge, like in the movie swingers, like something like that. When, when the song love is a losing game, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it could have been sung from any one of the great female artists of the sixties. When I'm listening to it, I'm thinking I could see dusty Springfield would have covered something like this. Even Lulu would have covered uh, something like this. Of course, it's like slow. It's cool. It's jazz. It's about self-pity. It's about regret. 
like most of these uh, songs, it's like are about regret and the relationship. But at the end, she always stays with this same guy. Um, I think the, the first t- song, Rehab, is the one that everybody knows. It's the first uh, single. And, you know, everyone, everyone knows like the, that, that, that lyric, you know, they try to get me to go to rehab. But, this, but I said, no, no, no. And when you combine that being the single and the lead up to this album, and at the time, there were all these pictures coming out about her and stories about her. And in the pictures, you just saw her declining weight loss. Um, it, it, it's a little haunting, but the music itself, great horns, um, is kind of like a swing type of, of, of sound, but also with this serious issue of, you know, this is someone who should go to rehab and she's yeah. rejecting it. Like, I don't know how aware she is of her problem. I just want to cover three more songs because I can't decide which song I like better. Uh, the, the title track mm-hmm. back to black is another old school soul sounding song. It almost sounds like um, when you hear the intro of it, it reminds, I don't know if you guys picked this up, but it sounds so much like baby love by the uh, Supremes. That, that's, that's the sound I got on. But again, bearing her soul about her boyfriend leaving her. And the thing is back to black means she's going back to drinking, back to depression. I absolutely, absolutely love this song. Like what, you know, like what, what I do is like when we, pick us an album i'll spend the week listening to it and like when i'm walking from my from you know wherever i'm going from gigs you know i'll i'll put on this and this really gets me in a great headspace even though the subject matter is what it is um the other song i love is you know i'm no good has a kind of like a philly meets motown song uh sound to me again think of the song um baby i need you loving by the four tops that's what this kind of like this is what it, it sounded to me. And there's a, a cool remake uh, remix on it with Ghostface Killer um, uh, rapping on it. Um, but here she blames herself for the relationship gone bad. You, you know, I'm no good. She's taking the brunt of it. Her voice is incredible. Uh, plus, here's the whole thing. It's such a deep and personal album. But she was only 23 years old when this came out and her voice and these lyrics are so much beyond her age, which to me, I found remarkable. And then the song is my favorite song on this album. It's one of my favorite songs of all time is tears dry on their own. Um, It's, you know, everyone kind of like, like knows it's, it's kind of like an ode, you know, the style that's arranged uh, it's supposed to be like um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, the Marvin Gaye uh, version. Uh, that's what this is. So to me, it's it's a fantastic, it's a song I can, I've never, ever gotten sick of. I love it, love it. I love this album. Um, I could, you know, on, on a scale of one to 10, I'm giving this like a nine and a half. Okay. Um, I didn't know we did... Uh... One to tens, but uh, <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> Each week we we have different formats. But first of all, great job. Um, I agree with everything that you said. And I'm not that familiar with Amy Winehouse. I'm really not. It's not. It's somebody that I'm obviously aware that she was this talent force, this kind of you know haunting voice. Haunting is a really best way to describe kind of this haunting kind of jazz. 60, there's really a lot of elements to her. Um, I compare a lot of, you know, good singers to like Linda Ronstadt only because like somebody like Linda Ronstadt could do a whole lot of ranges and a whole lot of different styles of music. And uh, that's what this feels like to me is somebody that's just so freaking talented, you know, and much like Hendrix just early and died and and it's a tragedy. And it's just, um, yeah, it's so good. I was actually in the Canyon hiking to this music and now it's, uh, it's, it's, it is a little depressing. I mean, I'm glad I didn't jump, but, uh, but it's, (laughs) you know, it's just so cool. It's like, it's really a sound I've never heard before. And she's one of the greats. It's unfortunate that we don't have her. And, um, somebody like this, you know, and, you know, I'm a recovery guy. And so, you know, I understand addiction in a way that I can relate to this. And so I understand the darkness that it takes, where it takes you. And this almost feels like, you know, a journal of kind of, you know, her, her darkness. And, and that's I what her, with her, that. her albums kind of have that, that feel that she's like, she's got to put it somewhere. 
like I've always said, you know, stand-up comedy for us is very cathartic. We can, you know, we talk about things. And I think music is like that for musicians where they can just put it to this place. And so this album is full of that. And, um, you know, and the rehab song is obviously the most played of any of the, her songs, but it's such a great song. And it's like, you know, it, it, you know, you have to just think about, it, you know, not hearing it as much and then you can enjoy it more. You know what I mean? That it's unfortunately, it's one of those songs that, that gets played a lot. So you kind of like, oh, I'd rather hear the other stuff. But it is a really kind of cheeky, you know, great kind of song that i mean who's doing songs about that you know what i mean and the fact that she was you know basically so honest with this stuff but 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 also arranging it where it's poppy and you know her producer you were saying that's where i think that's where i think mick ronson comes in Mm -hmm. if you get a chance go down the wormhole of watching her live performances i think a few yeah yeah, so good backing uh singers with the dap brothers oh wow um or the dap kings yeah, the two, the, two, yeah. Uh, the two black guys are wearing the suits with the hats. And, you Fantastic. Know, and, and, and it's just so cool and so sexy. And it's, it's classy. And she's singing in, in a skirt, but she's got the tattoos mm-hmm. and the beehive going. Yeah. And man, it, I, I can't get enough of that. And it, it, it depresses me that she's no longer here. And no one's, you know, like she was an original and she was authentic. And like, you know, like, like Robert Smith from The Cure, I, you know, I love the people who are just like really so deep and so talented and, you know, and, 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 and so vulnerable at the same time, you know? Yeah, she was, she was a great, you know, great artist. And, you know, um, well, let me hear what Adam has to say, and then I'll, I'll go in somewhere else. I mean, she, I, you know, I completely agree. And this was, you know, this is definitely one of the best albums of the arts and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys watched her later performances, but those were uh, brutal. When she was a met, yeah. When she, yeah, when she when, be, it, when, it was when she's on heroin at that point, right? It's, it's right. Especially her, her last performance, which is just terrible, horrible to watch. Yeah, I think it's easier to play guitar than it is to sing when you're on heroin. I think that's probably you know, I don't know. I think it's singing is a whole nother animal. I mean, I, I feel there's a lot of, I mean. Jimmy Page. I mean, there's plenty of people that were just doing all kinds of drugs and able to kind of like pull off guitar. But when you're the front center of singing, I think it's you you notice it a lot more, I think. Well, especially Hush. I mean, she, she was skin and bones at the, at yeah. the end. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. You know, she I, the, the, the performance that you're referring to, she's all over the place. She's she's yeah. she's off key. You know, uh, I mean, then when, it's so sad because when you watch other performances, when she's like on her game. There's no one better. Like there was no, she was, she could have been anything she wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, I've been to a lot of rock shows where guys were too drunk, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I used to get high and try to do comedy and, and, you know, it was just like, you know, just didn't work at all. But uh, yeah, but, but let's take it back to the drugs. Cause that's another question I had was, um, you know, do you think drugs, enhance music i mean especially somebody like this i mean if you know does i mean it's it's a weird argument but i mean think about all these great people who were obviously had addiction problems but created such masterpiece work you know so you know janice joplin and you know Jimi hendrix and jim morris I and mean, there's so many people that were just fucked i up think the I mean, whole time i think one of the, the first names that come to mind when you when you bring that up up is brian wilson when he wrote pet sounds yeah i mean that okay. whole the whole thing is him being in california and not going on tour and and doing psychedelics and you know these things would just come into his head and you know he saw it clearly yeah. well, what about her what about state. amy winehouse do you think that i mean did did any of that addiction help i mean I, it must have i think i don't think she would have had this this the lyricism is her- you know his heroin the same thing as a psychedelic that expands your mind. I'm, I'm, Jimi I'm, Hendrix I'm, played on heroin. I mean, come on. It's like, he? yeah, yeah, but, but absolutely. There's but there's a difference, like you just said, between being a singer and lyricist than between being a, a guitar player. Okay, what about uh, Stone Temple Pilots? Yeah, that Scott guy was Wild on heroin. Scott Wilde <laughs> no, was on heroin all the time. You know? and, and it killed him. It ruined his yeah, career. Yeah, but boy, he, he should pumped out some good music. He's, I mean, he had some great well, songs. It, it, it was you know? him and, and uh, Rob DeLeo. Well, his voice and him singing, he was a front man and he sang, whether it was somebody else's music or not, he was an amazing front man. Listen, I love Scott Weiland. That's another guy that that kills me that that he's not here. Gone I think way drugs too soon. do. My, this, I'll step in and say it. I think drugs can definitely enhance a performance. I think it obviously can go too far. 
I think people can, you know, pe- the problem is with drugs, you never know when to stop. So I think it can open your mind to a creative process. So. You know, the Beatles, I mean, there's the Beatles, Le- yeah. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> there's so many bands Zeppelin. that experimented right. with drugs and I think it enhanced the music. The problem is you don't know where to stop. You know, it's like we were, we were watching Boogie Nights the other day and it's a great movie, the first half. And yep, the second half is just how it just spirals out of control because the drugs take over. But uh, that's yeah. in my top 10 movies, by the way, oh, Dustin. Yeah. It's a great movie. But uh, but but it feels like music. People that did, you know, were, you know, but I don't know. I just feel like it's uh, it's a weird thing because you don't because think about the world if drugs did not exist. You know, what kind of music would we have? Would it be all like Lawrence Welk? Like what what <laughs> what, what would what would the music be like? Uh, you I know. think it does enhance the creative process, but I think it depends on the drug. I don't know. A lot of people have done heroin. A lot of people have done cocaine. A lot. I mean, a lot of the '80s music is coked up, so that's why it has the sound it has. And then a lot of the '60s music has a little heroin. Go- I mean, John Coltrane was on heroin the whole time. Like, there's just so much great music that was through heroin and through. Co- I mean, coke. I mean, coke is. Yeah, I'm sure some good music, you know, was through coke, but you know, a lot of that '80s stuff is kind of whacked out to me. Uh, but uh, this, I don't know if anybody has any yeah, input. We got, yeah, we got some. We got a happy mischief says, I think it can help creatively, but touring and performing in the business side, drugs don't help as much there. I agree with that. And let's see, we got a uh, mad dab and says, nobody ever listens when you tell them they're going too far. <laughs> That's yeah, true. true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know. I mean, a lot of good bands got sober and 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 stayed good, you know. I think the the Stones are pretty sober, except for Keith. But um, how about Keith, Ozzy? Ozzy sober, yeah. I think, yeah. but but that's the thing. The later stuff's not as good as the fucked up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. If you really span it out, it's and as a recovery guy, I don't mean to. If you're struggling with addiction, email me. I'll you know see what I can do to help. <laughs> but I feel like you know it's just a weird thing. But that's the thing. There was a big Kennison joke where he was just like he would talk about what if like somebody like Jimi Hendrix had lived, and he was like I I'm I'm ha-, he was like happy that that he didn't get to see him grow old and fat and you know just be miserable playing a Super Bowl halftime show, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's something, and that's another thing too that goes to the next question where I feel like when someone dies an artist does it elevate you know kind of their their mystery and you know the elevate their work at all because because i feel sometimes you know we take a we take another connection to an artist when they die you know we we find a soulful way you know because we know we're never going to see them again and and it immortalizes them because we're so obsessed with youth and so when a you know a young person dies and like james dean is this like james dean Mm -hmm. this young guy and kurt cobain is this like this young image and i don't know it's kind of this weird thing and with amy winehouse I feel similar. I, I think you're right. I think you're, 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 you're dead right on that. Like, what do you think would have happened? Like, what if dead Kurt right. Cobain... <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think if Kurt Cobain would have just came out, like, in the rest of the album, like, like with, with, with garbage, they suck. Yeah, if he'd be, he, be selling right. songs to car commercials. You know, like, right. who knows? Who knows? He, if he, he's 27 <laughs> years old. He, he yeah. dies. He has this amazing legacy, you know? Yeah, or would he have been Dave Grohl? Yeah, I he mean, took it to a different level, a different level. Yeah, absolutely. A different level. I mean, I don't know if it's a better level. I think I don't think the Foo Fighters comes close to Nirvana. I but agree with that. It's, too. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's great music and he's a great musician. I love him. My God, we couldn't you couldn't find a better person to be in rock and roll than that guy. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Anybody have thoughts on that? And when an artist dies, does that elevate them at all? Is that, you know? Anything? Let's see. Uh, we got. If you want to still talking about the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> More about the we, drugs. Okay. Yeah, whatever about got. the drugs. Yeah. We got sure, uh, Mad Dad been saying, uh, watch spiders make webs on drugs. It shows the ones that are good for creativity. So we're going to have to look up some uh, spiders making webs on drugs uh, YouTube videos. <laughs> so people put uh, like blue, like weed in there on a spider. Is yeah, that, let me see. Uh, is, that, is that what am I misreading this whole thing? Or, or, yeah, I wonder, <laughs> I, I, maybe Mad Dab and could answer. Let's well, see, weed uh, is an interesting one because, um, well, George Carlin, um, he, you know, he used to say that what he would do is 
he would write out all his material. He would write it on a typewriter and he would have it all out. And then he had a, he had a box and, um, he was a big uh, cocaine guy back in the seventies and he gave up Coke and everything. He gave up most drugs and a little bit drinking and stuff, but he have a box and a, in the box, he would have a joint in it. So his writing process for every special was he'd write the special out. And then after he wrote it out to punch it up, he would take two hits of, of the joint and then he would go back into the work. And so it was like, that, that was his process. Like he would write it out sober and they would get a little high to go back in and punch it up. And so, and I, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I've created some great stuff while I've been, you know, messed up on drugs and alcohol, you know, but I've also had horrible performances where I got in fist fights with guys in the audience and <laughs> can't go back to certain clubs anymore. So, you know, it's definitely a catch 22, but the creative process, I've had moments where I created these things because my mind was loose. So, you know, I understand it. I'm going to have to do that tonight. <laughs> I, got, I got i got about three jokes i need to punch up <laughs> well i used to kind of be the oh you mean punch it up oh like uh like, <laughs> like George Collin, yeah yeah absolutely i did yeah i mean you know it's like it's definitely uh i i get the idea of it so i just can't do any more drugs because it leads to all kinds of drugs for me i wish i could just smoke pot i'm in the right i'll tell you i'm in the right place i tell you <laughs> it's like you can get weed at 7-eleven here <laughs> what's gonna happen in new york too <laughs> Oh yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. They just signed legislation today. Oh wow. Today. Oh, that's yes. phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. New York needs it at this point with the, with the beating that New York's taken through COVID. It's like, they need something to get people to, you know, want to hang out in New York. They should open a club, you know, and uh, a weed club, you know, puff, just, puff laugh or something. Have, have you ever been, <laughs> <laughs> be huge. Have you, have you ever been to Amsterdam? Oh, yeah. uh, I have. I have. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've done comedy. I did comedy one time in uh, I think it was Vancouver or something. And it was a weed bar and uh, there was no alcohol and it was all and the entire audience was high the whole time. And they had they were vaping at the tables and stuff. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever performed in front of all high people instead of all drunk people. We always perform in front of drunk people. But I feel like, um, you know, it's almost it's pretty tricky because I feel like sometimes, you know, people you know, when they're high, they kind of zero in and laugh at something a little too long. And that's what I noticed. Like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they, would, they wouldn't stop yeah. laughing. At, I couldn't get to the next thing. Like they would just be laughing at one part and they're like, Hey dude, I, I got to go over here. <laughs> and then that would make them laugh. And then I couldn't get to the joke. So, and then it was like, I was sober, but you're going to get contact high. So I ended up getting high anyway. And so the whole thing was just a freaking hilarious. That's gonna be weird being like the one straight guy in a room full of of high people, and you're the ones making them laugh. It's always that way for me because I perform in places where it's a two drink minimum. Mm -hmm. So most most performances, everybody's you know three drinks in, and I'm not. So yeah, that, I mean that's a norm for me. I mean they're not always high, but they're usually drunk. You know, they're usually at least tipsy, if you will. I mean you know how people are at a comedy club. I don't know. You know some some get too drunk, but yeah. It's what it is. I perform in front of drunk. I, I entertain drunk people for a living as a sober person. That's that's my life. <laughs> so, I think yeah. I think it's a different it's a different head when you're drunk and when you're high. You know, like like I think when you're drunk, you you know it depends what kind of drunk you are. Some people have a fun fun drunks and laugh, and then you get like these are you've seen it aggressive, yeah. obnoxious, like you know. Yeah, I think alcohol makes can brings out your dick side. And, um, you know, your aggressive side, whereas I think we kind of, um, you know, mellows you out. Back. Right, yeah. right, right. I mean, right. I, I wasn't, I, I didn't enjoy weed that much. It got me a little paranoid and a little, you know, it passed out. I just pass out. Like somebody had really good <laughs> weed. I just pass out. Like, that was a fun party. Chafin's just passed out with his, with his hat on his foot. You know what I mean? Like it was just, you know, it wasn't that much. Cocaine was a good time, but weed was all right. I, I'm more of a Coke guy. But don't do coke. It's bad drug, guys. You'll stay in school. <laughs> you, you'll wind up in Canada without a shirt on, walking through the streets, asking for cab money. But uh, but yeah. So I don't know. Is there any questions, or you want to get to the next album? We gotta wrap it up soon, or we're twenty minutes in. Let's see. Um, oh, those those spider videos were from the sixties. They were uh, <laughs> okay. science, science experiment videos. Said uh, Jay Dizelot says they make crazy different patterns based on what drugs they give the spiders. So how so are they giving a, drugs to spiders? Are they like injecting them with heroin and stuff? 
Does that kill yeah, it? How does that not kill a spider, dude? I don't know. We'll see. We're going to get on these videos. <laughs> Jay, if if you're out there, if you could bring up, a, a, could we can we play that legally? A YouTube video of a of a of a spider on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, what if you can find a spider on drugs and throw that in the video, I would love you forever. All right. So okay. So M1 House is great. Thank you, Jeff, for recommending this album because. I'm going to go buy just how many albums? Two or three? Two. Two. So I'm going to buy both their albums on vinyl. I think she's be a great one to have on vinyl because it sounds so authentic yeah. and sounds yeah. so 60s Absol- and retro. So and Absolutely. Good stuff, man. I appreciate you predict, predict, picking this album. It was good. And uh, the next one's not, I, I did not expect this one either. So go ahead and uh, Adam, why don't you bring this one in? All right, so we uh, we're going from one iconic voice of the two thousands to another iconic voice and another Amy, uh, Amy Lee of Evanescence. This is their first album in uh, ten years, their first studio album in ten years, Bitter Truth. And uh, this is, is uh, the first I mean, album is, with Amy. No, no, no. The, their first album, uh, their first studio album in ten years. I think they did some live stuff in between. They did some. Uh, um, I think they did a soundtrack during that time but um you know this is a this is a a grand and epic album it's also a pandemic album too they recorded this during the pandemic um it is a uh you know it's a pretty uh uh it's an album about despair but it's an album about breaking through despair and i i mean i i was really surprised by it i i you know i was uh I'm not really a big Evanescence fan, but uh, you know, I found this to be one of the one of the better albums I've heard this year. And um, was wondering what you guys think of it. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. I was gonna say is the, the first time I even te- I text Adam. I was like, "You finally got one right." Like, <laughs> I absolutely. Poor Adam, you always get them right, Adam. Don't listen to him. <laughs> don't listen to him. We, we have to go back to the Daft Punk episode. <laughs> oh man, Daft Punk is great though. <laughs> All right, no, got, I, for, not for everybody though. <laughs> no, I, listen for for a new album. I mean, for any album, I thought this was great. I love Evanescence. I love Amy's voice. I think she's great. They, I know she left the band for a while and then i didn't even know she came back um but this had like that that's that sound like from from 15 years ago that industrial sound to it yeah. um did, anytime I, like, there was like there was um a song i think it was uh use my voice there oh was, yeah there was a couple of them that were started off like a little little slower and like i don't know if i'm gonna like this and then just kicks in and like there wasn't a song on this album that i said uh, skip they're all really good some are a little harder than others it it's opens a little weird with the artifact uh but other than that you know but because it's just it's a short song and it just gets right into uh broken pieces mm-hmm. and i think that was you know the album just is such a solid hard rocking album and again she's one of these singers she could sing this the phone book for all i care and i would enjoy it she's great yeah yeah, I knew nothing about this band. Um, I don't want to be ignorant about music that's not, you know, from like 60s to, you know, 90s or whatever. But it's a band that uh, I'm just not that familiar with. And uh, my girl really likes them. And so, you know, I but uh, I had no idea, you know, when somebody says a name and you get them mixed up with something else. Like I thought it was like, you know, more kind of R and B. I had no idea. I had no idea. I just didn't know because Evanescence. It sounds like a almost sounds like three women up front singing. You know, like a TLC kind of thing. That's that's what it felt like. And so, um, oh, what just happened here? Um, but uh, so I didn't know. I wasn't sure what was happening with um, this band. But anyway, loved them. Um, very cool sound. When I was a kid, we were into. Did we lose Jeff? Or he's there? Oh, he's there. Um, I was, is Jeff there? Jeff, I think we lost here. his video. Oh, uh, we lost his video. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully he'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you got lost in the void, like, uh, like WandaVision. He's like, oh, it's a great show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> He's like WandaVision. He's just caught in some internet, you know, like, freaking right, he's fiber a, he's, optics thing. <laughs> he's in the hex. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 
to next? Uh, well, I wanted to say this thing to Jeff. Where is he? Uh, <laughs> well, let me text him. Any questions? Wait, we'll do some questions until Jeff comes back. Let's see. We got a uh, happy mischief asks us, how did you guys pick this album? And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you picked it, Adams. Talk to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I picked it because it was brand new. It sounded the, the, um, the, everything I read on it sounded really, really good. And, um, I wasn't really too familiar with Evanescence either. So oh, you weren't okay. I no. thought you were, I thought they were kind of your jam. Okay. No, I hadn't really, uh, there, there were a few songs I heard. There were, uh, I mean, especially in the, uh, it was the early two thousands. They were really, really overplayed for a while, but, um, but yeah, I was, I was really, really blown away by this album. And I also like, um, you know, there, there's songs like, yeah, right. Um, far from heaven, which, which were, which sounded a bit different on there. And, and, and they were really, uh, I think they really stood out there. They became centerpieces of this album just because of, you know, it, cause they got a little bit more kind of adventurous on it. And, you know, it's just, a, you know, every, every song there were, they're really just like Jeff said, there's not really a song that you skip on here. Yeah, no, it's really good. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty intense, though. I'm going to tell you to go from, you know, because today I listened back to back all the albums, you know, to go yeah. from Amy Winehouse to, to Evan right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was surprised I wasn't a cutter after. I was just like, come oh, yeah. on. It was like, it was a lot. Um, but uh, it was great. I, you know, I compare them. I don't know if you know this band, uh, Cocktoo Twins. It was like okay. a big big uh kind of in the kate bush and like kind of this i, I was thinking kate yeah, bush also with yeah this. it's like kind of this uh you know kind of gothic kind of you know beautiful voice but it also has this kind of you know hard rock to it so yeah yeah i enjoyed it a lot i thought it was really good yeah i, I think, think another lost... uh go ahead yeah uh, i was just gonna say i think another band um just because of their grand sound would be muse okay like this kind of sounds like yeah it sounds like a few bands it kind of you know it, it you know it's like everybody was shitting on um uh, uh last week what was it pretty, oh, reckless. pretty reckless it's similar you know maybe they were trying to do something this band was i don't know when who came out who came out first but it felt similar in some ways well maybe yeah and, and yeah. uh and actually uh the lead singer of um of pretty reckless taylor uh Mumpson, uh, sings on use my voice she's oh, uh she does. she does backup vocals on it Oh, okay. All right. So, okay. So they're familiar with each other. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I think yeah. she, uh, I think, I think she cites Amy Lee as an inspiration and, uh, but I, I mean, I could see this would be a great tour if you had pretty reckless opening for Evanescence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could see that happening. What's up, Jeff. Good to see you again, buddy. <laughs> uh, I hate, I hate, I hate my internet. It is brutal. <laughs> I, I, it's brutal. That's all right. That's all right. But you know what? I was thinking that Evanescence, pretty reckless. That would be a good tour. Yeah, I would yeah. see that. What did you hear the thing? Uh, yeah, uh, he was just saying that they sang together. I yeah, guess, yeah. Taylor Momsen's on uh, the. Uh, she does backup vocals to use my voice. No, uh, I, so that so I, they're familiar. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Again, you know, it was. I listened to a lot of the Amy Winehouse, and I listened to this for the last couple of days while I was in the gym. And this is good gym music. Oh yeah. Yeah, better than Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse just make you want to find some mouthwash to drink. But this yes. is, you know, <laughs> Amy Winehouse is good walking music. This was yeah, yeah, great yeah. workout music. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I was saying that. Yeah, we were talking about that. You know, kind of, kind of has this this Kate Bush kind of like you know, Sinead had this thing too, where it was just like you know, just because this screaming voice, but it's not. It's beautiful. You know, it's almost beautiful. like it's just be, these, be, these both these artists today where they have these these voices that are just beautiful voices, but they're just, you know, but they almost feel like they're screaming because of the, you know, the way they sing and the content and the, the lyrics and whatnot. Dustin, are you familiar with uh, um, the song My Immortal that, that she sings? I'm not. I mean, if you want a song that just rips your heart out, listen to this song. It's about um, how do you get over the death of somebody? Oh, wow. And that and that imagery is is always with you. It's after you you've done everything to help this person, and they go, and then they and then their memory doesn't leave you. It's it's such a one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life by any artist. And then the on the other side of the coin, you have uh, "Bring Me to Life," which I'm sure you've heard. 
you know, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, I'm not just not, you know, I'm not that familiar with them. It's like, so they're not in my, you know, vinyl crates, if you will. Give it a listen. If you have a chance when you're Absolutely. hiking in the, in the, in the Canyon, listen to, you, know, you definitely know, <laughs> bring me to life. Yeah. Yeah. Now my girls, like I said, Lee is really into them. I'm just, you know, just, you know, it's like, I got other, you know, I'm more jazz and stuff and blues and whatever, but it's, but it's definitely great music. It's like, I don't know if like, I mean, I was just telling when you, when you got kicked off the internet, I was, you know, I was telling Adam, I said, it's pretty intense to have Amy Winehouse and Evanescence back to back. Like that's a, when you listen to that back to back, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of angst, you know, it's <laughs> a, a lot of female angst happening there. It's, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, I think I had my period at, the, at some <laughs> point. I think. What do you think of Far From Heaven? Far From Heaven. Um, that is that was the slow. That was the the, uh, the slowest song, and also it was similar to My Immortal. To. Listen, nothing for me, Adam. I'm telling you. For when it comes to like slow music and, and mm-hmm. emotional stuff, nothing's gonna beat that song. I've I've gone, I've I have spent hours going down these wormholes listening to people trying to cover this song. And I've heard I've listened to some people do nice jobs. She's just in another another level singing this. Um, did you guys talk about the thing you know what you sent me today, the bonus tracks on this, the two covers? No, we didn't we didn't get to that. I didn't get I didn't get that email. What would you you guys doing emails without me? What's going on? I didn't get I didn't get I didn't get it. I didn't get the extra the bonus DVD. I didn't get that. <laughs> what, yeah. was that were, were they bonus tracks or uh it was you just know, in, uh, in um if you buy it, I think if you get this album it's deluxe. In, yeah, in Japan, you know, uh there's you sent me the video. There's Cruel Summer, which I had seen her do before, right? You know, during the pandemic. And then they do the chain, which Ooh. everyone knows I hate Fleetwood Mac, but it's the only Fleetwood Mac song hate. I like. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm not a big Fleetwood Mac fan. Yeah, but hate is a strong word for like not you know, nah, not, not in music. this case. Not with Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> because because here's the thing. Oh no, I feel like this has happened before. Adam's yeah. like, here we go. Stevie <laughs> Nicks not being the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over oh, Pat Benatar. Sorry. Stop it. Stop it. It's, she'll get in there just because of you, because of this show. Pat's coming in. That's what I heard. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We have influence. We have influence. I always thought but, I always thought the chain was the opening song to uh rumors. And I, I always thought it worked as a better opening song than uh secondhand news. <sighs> Stop with secondhand news. I love the chain. Is That's a the great one song. song I don't like with secondhand news. You don't like secondhand news. No, neither do I. And I hate "Don't Wait for Tomorrow," but the chain is the haunting great song. Yeah, it really is a great song. When this band come out? Like two thousand? Uh, nineties, yeah. I think. No, I think he's right. I think, I think it, it could be like late nineties, but this the album. You know, the, the album that broke them. I, I'm pretty sure that had to be like early 2000s. Where did you hear two, first, Jeff? Uh, from oh, from the video for uh, "Bring Me to Life," and and they do the song with the guy from um, what's it called, Twelve Stone? Was that the uh, the lead singer? And that's the one they wake me up. You know, do you watch a video anymore? We uh, well at the time, it, yeah, MTV <laughs> was still playing music. Oh, you and, saw you saw it as an actual MTV video. Wow. Yes. That's, yes. And and now that's you know, so rare. Yeah, you can't do that. It's sort of well, ridiculous. But it was, but Dustin, it was it's it's over fifteen years old. You know, so, so MTV oh, was playing music, and they still had one hundred twenty yeah. minutes. Oh, such a great know, show! On. I remember that but, show. Yeah, but um, now it's like if I if I there's a song I like, I'll go on you on YouTube and I'll watch like the yeah. video, and then I'll get obsessed by it those are my drug days like 2000 so you know that goes back to the theme but yeah i missed a lot of a lot of videos and music i think I, that's probably winding latch onto this band yeah it was 2003 okay uh, when falling came out okay yeah because lincoln park was the big thing love you know? lincoln park that oh was that God. was kind of what yeah. was happening during that time for me that was good stuff too but uh fred durst what's in that guy too what was his band that was chester bennington what was Fred? Who's uh, Limp Biscuit? Limp Biscuit, yeah. Come on, Dustin. Limp Biscuit. Did you do and, it for the Nookie? 
Because <laughs> you want to take so that Fred cookie? Durst, I, I, always, I always do it for the nookie. Um, my girl's gluten-free. I'm gluten-free. <laughs> she wanted to move to L.A. I'm in L.A. Uh, you know, it's like she doesn't want to have kids. I don't want to have kids. I'm all about the nookie. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and Fred Durst. <laughs> Next week, we'll be seeing He's Dustin right. sporting a red fun. hat. He was fun. No, no more red hats. You, mm-hmm. your, your boy ruined those. But um, I... <laughs> I, you know, I like that music of 2000. It was because it was what I liked about it. It, it reminded me of the 60s because it was a fusion of different things. And so even if it was pop and rock and rap and whatever, I enjoyed that. I felt that it was a lot of, you know, it's kind of when Run DMC was on, you know, when we talked about Run, but as they were on, hilarious. But when we talked about Run DMC, it was like, you know, it was similar, you know, they, they fused things. So I, th- I feel like 2000 took some risks that a lot of music, you know, was it was fun i think they took some musical risk you know and added some elements that weren't necessarily happening at the time so i, I always enjoy fusion if you will yeah they, they mean it was heavy i just i think nookie yeah. was just such an immature song no it but, was I mean, it was fun it wasn't meant to be you know it was kind of like uh, and and he was a little obnoxious i think i think I think there are other bands of that era that that stood out to me better. Like I like Corn a million times yeah. better than I like. Uh, I saw Corn live a lot. I saw them live probably like four times. And, Love them. Uh, yeah, they were good. Yeah, they're they're great live band. It's a phenomenal live band. The, the people set on how good they are as a live band. Bush, I, I liked. Nobody liked Bush. I Bush was Bush, great. Bush, right? Yeah, Bush yeah, was yeah. great. A lot of people didn't. I thought they were great. Yeah, I saw Bush them a couple a years ago too, and they were they're still really good. They they it was uh it was them doing I think all of Sixteen Stone and uh, oh, live doing all of uh, Throwing Copper. Oh, nice. that that must have that been was a great. That tour. was a great show. I saw hey. live on that tour on on the original Throwing Copper tour. Oh wow, live was good. Yeah. yeah. Um. Hey guys, one question out to the Twitchers. Uh, what's your favorite band from two thousand? If you have one like that era of Lincoln Park and Limp Biscuit, did we miss? Did we miss anybody? Bush, Corn, Limp Biscuit, Lincoln Park. So we got. Uh, let's see. We got which uh, Woody. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we got uh, Ings back. That says uh, thought Jeff got fired mid show. <laughs> well, we well worked done. that out but thanks for paying attention we didn't know people actually watch this show uh no we we worked that out we had a group meeting everything's good we're see how flow this has so much flow in the show because yeah, everybody's, everybody's, nobody's interrupting everybody's being nice it's beautiful we got, uh dense dense stand says uh this uh says evanescence will get you through the canyon faster Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, this album. Yeah, this yeah. album. This one. Uh, let's see what other ones. Um, Han Bobon asks, does the order of songs affect your opinion of the album? Mm, I think, yeah, sometimes. It could. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, yeah, order is very important. I think sometimes it's, uh, I think with the Amy Winehouse, I felt like rehab is a great, kind of like go fuck yourself this is my life kind of opening and i think it really works for that album but yeah i think some some albums don't always do it like but some like the living color with that album we felt mm-hmm. we all basically were saying nobody could the, the album couldn't follow you know the best song on the album that should have been in the middle that should have been like the third fourth track right? yeah it was just it was too powerful of a song for anybody so yeah i think absolutely as a comic sometimes we do jokes uh, you know that we should close with and we do early or whatever. But yeah, I think it's definitely order is important sometimes. All right, Adam, uh, what do we got new? We got to wrap it up. Jeff's got to get to a live parking lot show or something. All right. No, let's see. No, we got no, a, you, are you inside a club? It's kind of inside. It's, it's, okay. it's inside outside. Right. It's, it, it looks like it's inside, but it has like an ex, uh, a brick wall behind it that's outside, but the building is so close. Nice. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to run through these fast. Let's see. Okay. Uh, we got uh, my morning jacket at dawn 20th anniversary extended expanded edition three LPs. Uh, it's got a complete Jim James live acoustic set. So if you're a fan of my morning jacket, that's going to be a good one. Um, we got the Eagles, the millennium concert two LP. It's recorded uh new year's Eve 99, the Staples center. It's the first time on vinyl. Uh, oh, and then wow. we got some uh, we got some reissues. We got Bob Dylan, Highway 61 Revisited. Oh, nice. Limited clear vinyl pressing. Fantastic album. And we got uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Blizzard of Oz. Nice. Limited silver and red vinyl pressing. I love a colored vinyl. 
Very cool. Uh, so get you some vinyl, guys. And uh, the Eagles. I love that documentary. Did you guys see that Eagles documentary? Yes. Yeah, so good. So good. I've, I've, I've actually watched that about three or four times. Yeah, so I mean, good. And it's like a three-hour documentary. Well, check out that Tina documentary and get back to me. The Tina Turner documentary. It's now on HBO. It's so good. Thank you guys for listening to Dustin's Vinyl. Um, and uh, we appreciate your support. And if you could hit our Facebook page and uh, our Instagram, we would love to... Uh, interact with you guys let us know if you want to like cover some albums and whatnot and uh so keep buying vinyl keep the record stores alive and uh we love you guys yeah yeah everybody bye everybody get to your set jeff thank you